but you're going to help me break the ice. Is that okay? Do I have some supporters in the house? I thank God for that. Shall we please be on our feet? We'll say a short prayer before we start. You just want to close your eyes this morning. You want to say that, Father, I want to know you deeper. You want to say, God, open me up for more of you. There has to be more, and I want more of you this morning. My heart is open unto you. My mind is open unto you. Father, give me more of you. Begin to say that in your heart. Open your mouth and pray to God. There has to be more. You want more of God this morning. You are saying enough of the last level. This is our God here, and I want to go deeper with you. Holy Spirit, saturate this atmosphere with your presence. Sit on every heart, every mind, every soul, every spirit. These people are yours and yours alone. They have come not to hear man. They have come to hear from you. They have come to seek you. They have come to know you. They have come so that they can be changed by you. Father, our desire is to look more like Jesus. We want to be a light in our generation. When others wonder where God is, may they look at our lives and know that God is real. This morning, you want to say, Father, I want to be a beacon of light to my generation. In my class, in my home, in my church, I want people to see the Christ in me. Say that in your heart. Say that in your spirit. Say, I want more of you. Holy Spirit, drench me with your presence. Drench me with your presence. Father, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. There's absolutely nothing you can do. May lives be changed by the revelation of your word. May we be humbled by the love and your mercy. May we, above all, be changed and be used to your glorious name. In Jesus' mighty name, have we prayed with thanksgiving. Amen. Kindly take your seats in the presence of God. So, I'll start with a question. Who knows about the Trojan horse? Yeah, I found somebody. How many people know about the Trojan horse? Oh, give, lift your hand. Me, yeah, I'm short, so even if you do this, I won't see you. Lift your hands. Hi, 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 hi. Because I'm going to call all of you. Hi. Come, come, come. Oh, come and stand here. I'll ask all of you. Come. Oh, come. Don't be shy. Great. Who else knows about the Trojan horse? Hey, are you sure? Okay. Turn and face you. Ten and face your colleagues. Okay, I'll start with you. Hi. So, um, what I know about the Trojan horse is, like, I don't remember the exact thing, but then they like sent over a Trojan horse to their enemy's like city, and they hid people inside the Trojan horse, like to attack. And then, when like the people they sent it to throw like oh it was a gift and then the enemies inside the children was like came out and then attacked all of them 
that's what I think it's about. Yeah, it's true. It's about it's what you think it's about. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Oh, go. <laughs> it was a war. Okay, okay. It was a war, and in the war, it was a fight between Greece and Troy. Great. Yeah. And Greece, they couldn't find any way to enter Troy's walls because the walls were very high. So um, one of their leaders called Odysseus came up with an idea of using a giant horse as if it was some sort of sacrifice. And he brought it in front of Troy, and Troy brought it in. And they were hiding inside the horse. Please give it up, give it up, give it up. Um, I think he has already said everything. But you can add yes. <laughs> yeah, um, so Troy thought that the Trojan horse was like a present from Greece. So they accepted it. And then when they brought it in, they used it to attack him. Awesome, awesome. Give it up for him too. <laughs> Had any of you heard the story before, before they narrated it? You've never heard it before. Or had you heard it? I heard somebody say, yeah. Some of you have heard it. So it was a war between Greece and then Troy. And as, as the young man said, he has actually told you the story. There was like, it's like the walls of Jericho. They were very fortified. You couldn't enter. And after days and months and years of battling them, they didn't know how to get in. So they sent to them a gift as if to sacrifice to their gods. And then inside, so it was a wooden horse, a giant wooden horse. And then the, the warriors hid inside the horse because that was the only way they could enter the gates of Troy. And then when they entered, the people opened it, accepted their gift and entered. Here came the warriors. And that is how Greece defeated Troy. Is that okay? Now, the reason why I brought the Trojan horse up is because the biggest way to defeat your enemy is when they don't see it's coming. Okay, so you would realize that now people have viruses that they call Trojan. If you, if you are a tech person, you see that there are viruses named as Trojan. It means when you go to certain sites and you download certain things, you don't know that the virus is embedded in them. I came to tell you this morning that you are God's Trojan host to the enemy. The enemy won't see you coming because they will undermine you. But God has a hidden purpose for you. You are God's battle axe and he's raising you for such a time as this to shake the very gates of hell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27, did you bring your Bibles? So the word of God says there, it says, For God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Are we there yet? First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27. I want to see you looking inside your Bible. If you have it on your phone, so just open it on your phone. It says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
You know, many a times, we all come from different backgrounds. And we have the tendency, because of all that we have been through, to undermine the fact that God has the capacity to change our story, not just for ourselves, but for generations ahead of time. How many of you are 13 years old? Who is 13? I just want to see the demographics. Just, just, just 13. 14. 15. 16. 17. Oh, raise your, raise your hand. 17. 18. 18. 19. So there's just a few. Eight, 19. There's no 19 here. Good. 19. 20. It's ended. There's no 20. I want to show you that the men and the women God used in the Bible were within your age range. And it's time for us to arise and shake the gates of hell because we are no longer children in the eyes of God. The world may look on us as children, but God has a purpose for us. Let me start with one such person. His name is David. You are very familiar with David. You know, the Bible says that when the prophet Samuel came to the house of Jesse and he told them that the Lord had set his eyes on a king in the family, the Bible says that Jesse made all his seven sons pass in front of Samuel. And even when Samuel the prophet, he saw the firstborn, he said, surely this is the Lord's king. This is the Lord's anointed. And God said, no, I haven't chosen him. The second king, the third king, and the Lord said he had chosen neither of them. Now, as, I was, as, as he, they were passing in front of them, these first three sons were already in the army of Saul. They had been fighting battles, and yet God said it was not any of them. And one by one, all the sons of Jesse passed. And so Samuel himself became confused because all the seven God said it was none of them. Then he asked Jesse, do you have another son who by, by, by any means is not here? He said, yes, I have one son, but he's tending to the sheep. You know, and the language, right, in the original text is to say, I have one son who is very young and quite irrelevant. It means that his father didn't even see his potential. Am I getting to you? His father didn't even see that David could be the anointed. And someone said, you know, I'm here on a mission. Get me that young person. Get me that one that looks irrelevant. We will not sit until he comes here. And lo and behold, when David came, God told Samuel, he is my anointed. Now, biblically, David would have been around 15 years old. And then the Lord anointed him. And then the next time we see David, David is on the battlefield. He's just going there to serve food to his brothers. He goes there and he sees that there's a giant, Goliath. And he's ravaging at the army of the Israelites. And nobody can seem to stand up to him. Not even the older people. And so David asks, but who is this uncircumcised Philistine? 
who is defying the armies of the living God. He was 15. Roughly between 15 and 17. And he goes and he says, let me see Saul. I will deal with this guy. 15 years. He goes and because he's been faithful whilst tending to his father's sheep, even though nobody considered him as anything, the little he was doing, he kept being faithful at it. So even in what seemed irrelevant, he had mastered a skill there. Are you getting me? Today, you want to tell yourself, whatever little thing I'm doing, whether people see me or not, I want to be faithful. I want to gain mastery. In my academics, I want to gain mastery. Even in doing my house chores, I want to gain mastery. Write that down. Don't, don't look at me. Tell yourself. I want, to, I want to gain mastery in whatever I'm doing. I want to stay faithful to God and gain mastery even in the areas that seem very irrelevant because God looks on the areas that look very irrelevant and attends to your faithfulness to reward you. So whilst his brothers are on the field and they are being noticed, David is in the wilderness tending to sheep. But whilst he's there, almost everything is coming against him. Because you see, the thing with being entrusted with something is that you have to bring it and account for it holistically. And so he's learned to make sure that not even a single sheep gets lost whilst he's tending for it. You know, instead of him to be upset about why his father has sent him to the wilderness, he's finding joy even in what seemed irrelevant. He's finding joy even in what seems like he's been taken to the background. He's finding joy even though it looks that for a moment his family has forgotten him. He's finding joy even though it looks like society doesn't regard what he's doing. He's finding joy in remaining faithful to God. So whilst he's serving, he's encountering dangers. He has to fight the bear. He has to fight the lion. Then, then comes the day when he meets a giant. But you see, the reason why he can stand up to a giant is because whilst in the wilderness, he's seen God's faithfulness. If you can look up to God in the times that it seems you don't understand him, it is in those times that God will show himself to you. When your academic seems like they are failing, when you've done everything that you can, you are trying your best, but it seems nothing is working. You think your parents don't understand you. You think your teachers don't understand you. There's somebody who understands you. That person is God. That person is Jesus. And if you can't do anything right, you have to get your Christianity right. Because when all else fails, Jesus will be the only one left standing. You see, that was why I was a bit amazed when I came and I saw only one guy dancing. Myself too, I had a problem with it. Why were only the girls dancing? Are they the only ones who find joy in the presence of God? Surely not. God is raising up young men here to take leadership positions. But how will you lead the world if you can't even take lead in the house of God? Where there's so much liberty and there's so much freedom, 
I can understand those playing instruments. I can't understand those sitting down. Because David was unashamed for God in the wilderness. And whilst he was unashamed just loving God and staying true to what God had shown him, he found himself defeating a giant. Not with anything fancy. But with the very things he had been used to dealing with in the wilderness. A sling and a stone. But you see, he did not believe in the ability of the sling and a stone. He believed in the ability of the almighty God. Are you getting me? His faith was not in what he had in his hand. His faith was on the fact that he had seen God move in the wilderness. So the question I ask you today. What are you good at? Think about it. When you can't do anything. The last time I was here and I said, maybe yours is even smiling. And she's smiling. And that's the only thing you know how to do well. You want to do it and do it well to the glory of God. That there should never be a day that there's a frown on your face because you know that God has given you the gift of smiling. If yours is to usher people, you want to do it and do it well. Because you see, that thing that you are doing and doing well, when God backs it, you become extraordinary. You see, there's no such thing as ordinary in the hands of an extraordinary God. You are not ordinary. And we don't say this to make you feel puffed up. We say it so that you can understand that any ordinary thing in the hands of an extraordinary God ceases to be ordinary. You see, give an engineer anything that is destroyed. How many of you are tech people here? Who is a tech person? Who likes putting things together? raise your hand. I know there's a tech person here. You, come. Come, come, come. Come, good. Oh, come. Come. (laughs) Come. Smile, smile. So, if I give you parts of certain things, you can put it together, even though it looks spoiled. You You can do that. Give me an example. A battery. You take a battery and a LED light plus a a capacitor and a switch then you put the capacitor to the battery and you put it on the board if you have a board or a cardboard anything you can put it on it 
and as you're done with that then you flip the switch and see whether it is having power if it's not you try and try again until it works give it up thank you give it up for Nanapia so he's shown you how he can work I haven't forgotten you he's shown you how he can work with a dead battery he picks a cardboard he puts the the dead battery there he puts a capacitor as he's talking even me I don't know what a capacitor is (laughs) you see you see but I'm trying to show you how brilliant your mind is and how God can use what you deem as insignificant to lift you up once you are staying faithful so he picks it and then what I consider as dead comes alive in his hands because he knows exactly what to do with it and I'm telling you today that what people consider as worthless God doesn't consider because he's the creator of all things anytime somebody tells you you are not good enough tell them I'm good enough because I am in the hands of an extraordinary God do I have somebody with me in this house And you put them on top of the magnet that you put on the floor. Yes. Can you hear him? <laughs> and then you attach you attach the magnets to any metallic surface. Then you put them on the magnets on the solid surface. And then you see if they float. If you if they don't float, then you keep on turning the magnets until they float. Did you hear him? (laughs) (laughs) Your friends, some of them said they didn't hear you. It's not me. So the last time, imagine you're teaching them how to do it. Okay. Imagine you take a few magnets and then put them on a solid surface. Then you take another pair of magnets and put them on a solid, a metal, a metallic, um, anything that's metal. Then you place them on top of the magnets. Then you do that until they float. If they don't float, then you just have to keep on turning them till they float.
can add mag um, batteries to the magnets to make them float even higher or lower. I look at him and I know there's still more he wants to say. And he's an example of the patience of God. When God looks at each one of us, he doesn't see our fears. He doesn't see our doubts. He doesn't see our incapabilities. He sees that there's more. And he's patient to wait for the more. So he grooms us and he tells us, keep focusing on me. Keep focusing on me and just speak the words I tell you to speak. So I can tell there's more. The reason why I left him is because he knows there's more inside him. He knows that there's more for him to do. He knows there's more for him to say. But he's limited by his own fears. And when God comes into the picture, what he does is that he strips you of all those fears. The more you focus on him, the more you pray to him, the more you praise him, the more you worship him, to strip all those fears. So one day you see this guy standing up here and he's talking so flawlessly and you think he doesn't have fears. He does, but he's encountered the power of an extraordinary God. Do I have somebody understanding me here? How many of us wants to give our fears to God? So the next time I ask a question, nobody will be sitting down because it starts with a first step. Do you think that David was not afraid of Goliath in any single way? Do you honestly believe that? Because this is a giant, right? And he's so small. But he believes not in himself, but in the power of God. And every time you are called to do something in this teen chapel, don't look at yourself. Look at the power of God inside you. Is that okay? Look at the power of God inside you. Look at how God wants to use you. And even if it looks like you are making a mistake, you still take the bold step of coming up here and executing what God has for you to do. Am I okay? Give it up for our brother here. So these two young men have demonstrated to us that what you consider worthless, because it has no interest to you, they can consider useful. Let me also tell you, let me do a, a little trivia. There's no wrong or right answer, right? Because most people don't even go there. But, but we want to, in the year of God, we want to know God deeper, right? We want to know the extent of God's capabilities. We want to know the heart of God. Jesus' 12 disciples, who do you think was the oldest? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I can see you. Come. Come. Oh, give it up for him. Working so gallantly. Wow. I think it's Peter. Good. It's Peter. Give it up for him. 
Who do you think was the youngest? Great. John, awesome. It's true. <laughs> Give it up for him too. You see, when we watch a lot of the Jesus movies, right, we, we tend to get to have the impression that the disciples look older than Jesus. Am I lying? Am I lying? You see, like, all of them look very older than Jesus. But can I tell you something? All of them were younger than Jesus. I'm going to, this is the year of God. And so we want to see the power of God and what he did with 12 ordinary men. 12 ordinary young men. In fact, historically, they would have been between 15 and 25. They were like you. John would have just been about 15 when Jesus called him. Peter would have truly been the oldest. Maybe about 20, maximum 25. Because he's allowed to pay the temple tax. You see, there's a time that Jesus is sitting and they come and question him about paying a tax. But if you realize in the scripture, he pays for only himself and Peter. And it's because if you were younger than 18, you didn't pay the, the temple tax. And that's how we know that most of them weren't even up till that time. Can I tell you something also? Most rabbis, you know Jesus was a rabbi. Have you heard that before? He was a revered teacher. And in those days, when you attended, let's say, GSS, but this would have been like a seminary GSS, and you finished, what your parents were supposed to do was, they were supposed to have some amount of money right? And they would go and look for one popular rabbi and they would go and pay the rabbi and beg him to be your teacher. And so, the rabbis don't go looking for disciples. The disciples come looking for the rabbis and they pick the most intelligent and bright people, those who had made it and scored very high in school. Is that okay? But this Jesus, we've just read, and I, I intentionally started with that scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. This Jesus, this revered rabbi, he not only steps out, he doesn't wait for the disciples to come to him. He goes looking for them, and he picks the ones who don't look like they are worth anything. He picks those ordinary ones who have finished school and they don't know what's, what to do next. So they joined their father in a trade. And that was the normal Jewish custom. You joined the family business as you were growing up. And so business in a Jewish family is handed over to the son. And so that is why you see them have lots of family business. You, don't, you train your sons to take up time. And so Jesus goes out and he's not waiting for anybody to pay him to get disciples. In fact, he's not looking for the brightest people. He's just looking for those who are willing. And so he walks amongst them. He prays. He fasts. And he picks the ordinary guys. And we know that they were uneducated because in the book of Acts, when they are preaching, the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, who are these 
uneducated people speaking to us with authority over the scriptures. And then they noticed that they had been with Jesus. Can you see that Jesus makes a difference? That even as low as you look, that you can look more exalted than you should because you are with the master. Ordinary men turn the whole world upside down because they learned to trust. They learned to walk with Jesus. There's coming a time and the time is now that our youth should stop seeing themselves as ordinary children. When I look at you, I don't see you as such. And that's why today I came here with a mandate for people who are hungry for God, for people who desire more of God, who are saying that I don't care the limitations that society puts me in. I have decided to trust God I have decided to follow Jesus and I am confident of what he can do in my life. I don't care what background you came from. I don't care how many times you failed. I don't care how many times people have written you off. For God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So, I ask, how many people are willing to be foolish for God so that he can use them? So that we take boast not in the things we have achieved. We take boast not in our beauty, but we take boast in God. So, how many people want to say this morning, Father, I want to know you deeper. Father, I want to know you more. I want to be part. Suppose me to change the nations. I want to be changed. Okay. Then I have confidence that you can do it with me also. Pray this morning from the depths of your heart. Honestly speak to God. You know all the things that hold you back. You know all the things that hold you back. Oh, I see you. You don't away. All the things me also. Can you see me also? And I love that declaration. Open my eyes to see you, God. Open my ears to hear you, God. Open my heart so that I can understand you. Pray from the depths of your heart if you mean it. Say, God, I want to be used by you. You. Hunger for prayer consume me. Pray this morning. school father use me for your glory in my house father use me for your glory pray use me oh God I refuse to be restricted by my fears use me God use me God after today I don't want to be the same use me God use me God I want to be more obedient. I want to be more faithful. I want to be more submissive. Use me for your glory. Use me for your glory. You're saying, 
Father, heal every hurt in me. Every pain caused by a parent, every pain caused by a teacher, every pain caused by somebody saying a negative word to you. God is bringing healing to you this morning. The Father is cleansing your heart. The Father is saying, I love you. The Father is saying, I see you. The Father is saying, I haven't thrown you away. If the world throws you away, I delight in the things that are thrown away. I'm the master architect. I'm the master engineer. I'm the master IT technician. I'm the master painter. Come to me. Come to me. Be in a place of surrender. Just come to me. Continue to pray. I want healing, Father. I want healing in my heart. I want healing from all the hurt, from all the insults, from all the negative words thrown at me. Today, God is breaking off the curse of the negative words. God is shining his light into your heart once again. God is shining his light into your mind. And he's bringing release unto you. Let the Holy Spirit heal you this morning. Let the Father saturate you this morning. Lord, do your surgical work in these ones. Father, do your surgical work in them. Go into the depths of their being. Approach anything that is not of you, O God. Bring only that is with you. Bring yourself to them. Bring your presence to them. Father, strengthen their hands. Strengthen their minds. Make them prepared, O God. Make them your battle axe. Make them your Trojan horses. Launch a surprise attack on the gates of hell with these ones. Everybody here, Father, take notice. Take notice as they pray. Holy Spirit, take notice. And change them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going somewhere this morning. So I have a bottle of water here. Please fill it with water for me. Why are you laughing? It's already filled with So if I want more water, what do you need to do? How will you add more water if it's filled? <laughs> They're laughing. I'm, I'm asking her to do something seemingly impossible. I have water and I'm saying she should fill it up. So, what what, what does she have to do? Like, I, I want new water. What? Oh, oh, raise your hands and talk. What, what? Come. Come. Eh, you raise your hand when I call you, then you want to hide. Come. Come. We've prayed, though. We've prayed. 
So no fears. Okay. So I want new water. What does she have to do with this? I think you go and buy another one and add to this one. I want to use my bottle. He's my David. Oh, but I haven't asked you to go. Drink there. She should drink this water and bring me another. She should she should drink this herself and then she'll bring me another one. Thank you very much. (laughs) Who else has something in mind? Come. I think she should pour it and fetch another one. Wow, thank you. What's your name? Robert. Robert. Pong. Wow, wow. Give it up for Obrim Pong. So, I would expect that she would pour this away and bring me another one because the bottle is still going to remain the same. Only the contents will be different. Am I right? Imagine that I wanted to fill it with Coke. I don't have Coke here, but would have done it. Oh, what's your favorite drink? What, what's your favorite drink? Maybe I'm, I'm Kolo and I like Coke. What's, what's your favorite drink? Oh, tell me, tell me. Sprite. What's your favorite drink? Oh, shout it, shout it, everybody, so I can get the majority. Right. What? Only water. Ay. Somebody says only water. But I think Sprite is winning. Sprite. Is this Sprite? Bingo. Schweppes. Show them, eh? <laughs> they call you small girl. Wow. What's your favorite? Bingo grape. Bingo grape. Yes. Wow. So, so if I ask you to put bingo here, what would you do first? I'll pour out the water and put the drink inside. Would you want to mix? some of the water. Will you pour half and then put half of the bingo in it? No. Why? Uh-huh. To be tasteless. To be tasteless. Good. Small girl danger. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, they've said something beautiful. She says her favorite drink is a bingo grape. And I, it's all bingo. I, I said it to me. I'm lost. What? Bigo. Bigo. Okay. Bigo grape. Right? Me, I like Coke. And I asked if if I asked you to fill this 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 bottle, 
with bigo grape. What would she do? She said she'll pour all the water out and fill it. I said, Oh, but why didn't you just pour half and leave half? And they said, No, it will be tasteless, right? You will like the taste of the bigo drink. That's how it is with God. You say God should should fill you up, and yet you're already full of self. God can't fill you up that way. If you want God to fill you up, what do you need to do? All of this has to come down. All of self has to go out. Do you like half-half? You don't even like half. Because you said what? It will be tasteless. If you want to go deeper with God, you can't pour half and leave half. Pride has to go out. Anger has to go out. Disobedience has to go out. Worldliness has to go out. Everything has to come out. And then you can be filled with the depths of God, which will become not only sweet to you, but to the world. The world can now drink of the fullness of God inside you. Am I making sense to you? So that as long as there's you, there's no space for God. As long as you have your fears, there's no space for God. You really, you, you think when I come here and I say that I'm shy, I'm just, I'm just saying it. No, I'm, I'm not just saying it. It's the truth. But every single day, not every week, every single day, there has to be something in me that dies to make space for God. There has to be something in me that I pour out to make space for God. And what you see is the side of God when I stand here. There's no eloquence there that I have. There's no superior knowledge that I have. There's nothing but God. And it started with dying to self every single time he shows me something that is undesirable in me it comes out every single time he shows me now I'm not proud of this behavior poured out now I can't work with you whilst you're this way poured out and you know why the process of emptying doesn't look glamorous. Who wants an empty bottle? No one. But what you don't know is that there's an infilling waiting for that emptiness. You can't desire to be used by God and still want to keep the old man alive. You can't desire to be used by God and you are rude to every single person you meet. Something has to be poured out. Do you want God to taste sweet in you? 
I'm asking you a question. You want to be sweet for God, then there are things that have to be poured out. There are things that have to come to him in surrender. You, of all people, you know the weaknesses. You know the things that are undesirable. When we talk about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it says love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. Do you have them? Do you love people unconditionally? Do you forgive easily? Yes. For those nodding, God bless you. But there's there's something more. Do you do you do you do you dance to his glory? Now let's get there. Yes, because after this we'll dance, so I'll give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. Oh, you do it, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you see, we want, to, we want to live unashamed for God. Because if you say you want God to use you for his glory, and even in the confines of this church, you can't be ashamed for him. Can you be ashamed when you're not with his people? When you are with a world that is wicked, can you live for God? You have to start living for God here. You have to show him that you are for him here. Because it is here that you find that iron sharpened iron. Your friend, your colleague, your, your facilitators, they will cheer you on. They will strengthen your hand. It is from here that you gather the strength to live unashamed for God. Am I getting through to somebody? This year, the God year, I pray for you. Teen Chapel, a different breed of young warriors for God are rising from this place. Oh, say amen well. And you are one of them. Say I'm one of them. Oh, lift up your hands. Say I'm one of them. God is using me for the nations. Oh, say, say, say it. God is using me for the nations. And God is using me for his glory. And everywhere I step, I will declare his glory. I'll be a light. I'll be salt. I will shake the gates of hell. Wherever my feet step, I'll possess for God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Clap for yourselves. You see, one of the things with being in the presence of God and gaining strength is that the strength is tested the moment you leave the presence of God. So you say that you want to be more patient. Right? 
you tell yourself today whilst you are here that you want to be more patient. Then the moment we finish service, you stepped out and somebody stepped on your shoe. And, and, and worst of all, they didn't even tend to say, I'm sorry. What will you do? You'll be angry. You'll be angry. Wow. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Who else? What will happen after here? He said, don't lie. <laughs> what will happen? You let it go. Wow. Awesome men of God here. You do a... You teach a, <laughs> you teach a person how to say, I'm sorry. But that's a good thing. That's a good, give it up for him. That's a good thing. See, the truth is that everything that God wants to give you will be tested. If you, be, if you want to be more honest, you'll be tempted to tell a lie the moment you step out from here. So we are not building up our most holy faith in here and leaving it here because the mark of excellence is tested by your ability to pass your test. Right. So most of you have written some form of exams before, right? And we only know that you have learned when we issue the teaching right or not. Is that also? When you write a test and you don't get it correct.